Today, Jackie and I have Gene Balk as a guest. Gene is known as the FYI guy, and he writes database stories about Seattle and Washington for the Seattle Times. Most recently, Gene's been writing some really important data pieces on stories related to how COVID-19 is impacting the Seattle area, including one recent story that revealed that nearly two-thirds of Seattle area essential workers are female. That statistic really shocked me. And also, again, it emphasizes the importance of local reporting in our community. The ability for us to get timely and unbiased information on local conditions in the communities that we live in is more important than ever, in my opinion. And we're really happy to be talking with Jean today. Welcome to the We Earn Media Show, Jean. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Alrighty, Jean. So Tell us about your current role as a columnist at the Seattle Times, and please give us a brief summary of your career as a journalist. Sure. Um, so yeah, I write a column for the Seattle Times. It's It's got a name. It's called the FYI Guy, and it has a name because it started as a blog, actually, and, and then uh, later on I was promoted to a columnist, but blogs have to have names, so that's why it has one. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I write, basically I write about um, demographics and other data um, whether like survey data or market research data or, or all different types of uh, data. And uh, yeah, just and, and local. It's, all, it's all, always about Seattle um, or the Seattle area or Washington. And I, my cat is mewing in the background, so sorry about that. We love animals here. <laughs> yeah, so. no, it's okay. The I thought it was <laughs> I often make those noises myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a really long story as short as I can. Um, I did not, I never intended to become a journalist. Journalism found me more than me finding it. Basically what happened was, um, so I, I'm trained as a librarian. I, 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 in my late twenties, I went back to school and got a master's degree in library information science. And I had never, I, I did not intend to go into journalism newspapers at all. Um, but I, I, just as I graduated from that program, I, I had a friend who worked at the Baltimore Sun newspaper. And they had an opening for a news librarian, which was a, a job I really, most people wow. have never heard of. And I, I didn't really know much about it, but yeah, I interviewed for the jobs uh, and they, even though I really had no experience, um, they agreed to take me on and train me. Um, th- that's a job that uh, it basically, it's like a reference librarian for a newsroom. You know, there's, there's a lot of um, information needs in a newsroom and, uh, you know, public records, people finding demographic, all sorts of data, you know, um, for, for the journalists. And so it's a really interesting job. And so I started at the Baltimore Sun, then I moved to the Orange County Register in California. And then in 2002, I came to the Seattle Times. And so for most of my time at the, at the Seattle Times, that's what I did. But as newspapers, you know, started to shrink and the industry has been so challenged, um, you know, the jobs really, I mean, that job's basically extinct now. Um, and we were, our staff was shrinking. Um, we had a layoff of the one of the librarians, I would have been next and I knew it was coming. And so I started to prepare for a career change basically. But in, in kind of in the meantime, while I was still working at the paper, I wanted to, I tried to think about things that I could do that would make me a little more useful or, or give me some more skills. Things had come from the time I got into librarianship, which was in the 90s, news librarianship in the 90s, to that point, um, you know, the whole, the the field had changed so much because, you know, it was big data now. And there was all this, uh, you know, data that was available online, local data, you know, census had completely changed. And I, I worked a lot with census data and demographics is kind of my bread and butter. And, um, and so I thought, you know, there's all these stories in demographics um, that we're not really writing about, you know, but, um, but 
that that data is out there and it's local. And wouldn't it be cool to do a blog for our website on just uh, local demographic data? And, you know, this was the age of blogs back, you know, this is like about 10 years ago or so. And um, we had a ton of blogs on our website. And so I proposed this idea. They liked it and the, they, they made it part of my um, job. They, they gave me this, an editor, like I had an editor and this became part of my job. And I learned a lot and got better at it. Um, you know, it became, they started to use my content, you know, in the paper and on, on the website, not just as a blog, but actually as content in the paper. And so it became more, more and more important part of my job. And eventually I was, uh, this is about five or six years ago, I guess, I was promoted to a full-time columnist. So I was no, no longer a news librarian. All I did was, was write the column. And that, that's, how it, that's how it happened. I have a quick question. Um, did anything shift in the column when it, be, when it went from blog to column? Or is, that, is it semantics or did something else change? A blog, there's, there's a lower bar for a blog post than for a column. Oh, okay. I, I did much more ambitious things typically in, in the column. Um, cool. You know, yeah, like uh, the, the blog was much more casual. Like I said, it was a sort of secondary part of my job mm-hmm. initially. Um, the, the column, you know, I do. Um, I, yeah, it, it, I mean, it, every column is different. Some are more ambitious than others. But, you know, we'll do interactives and, you know, all, all sorts of stuff that I, we didn't do before. That is pretty cool. So yeah. do you you make interactives and stuff, too, in your column? Well, so my column, because it's based in data, um, it always has some sort of a graphic to go with it, like a chart or a map or something. And um, no, um, I don't, I would love to learn how to do those things. But no, we have a team of of graphic artists at the times that, you know, that does the, they'll do print graphics, they'll do web graphics, they'll do interactives, you know, for whatever the story calls for. Very cool. Uh, One one more question on that. Do you like, do you ask them for the graphs that you want and give them the data or do they kind of look over the data and pull out? That's probably a dumb question. You probably. No, that's not a dumb question. No. Um, oh, thank you. So I put in a request for like, um, so the way, the way with any column or story at the paper, if you need a graphic or a photo, say, or a video, whatever, you know, you got to put in the request and you got to say exactly what it is you need. So I, I, I tell them you know, I, I send them the data. I tell them what the headline of the, the chart or the, you know, the graphic should be or the, what they call the chatter, like the little explainer text. I sometimes, I, I kind of, you know, they're graphic professionals, you know, they, they know visuals. And so I usually kind of let them sort of decide from there, but I, I kind of will consult with them. Very cool. Kind of jumping to the article that we wanted to talk about today, uh, just to give our listeners a summary. And of course, we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, the article that we're talking about, or we're going to talk about is one that uh, is a story that was actually pitched to Jean. It's a survey that was done, and I can't pronounce the name. Elucid. I would yeah. have never said it that way. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have either. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't just say it. Um, so it was a survey done by Elucid, and I'm skipping to it real fast, and, and uh, I'll let you go ahead and summarize it, Jean, but... In that article, you I actually noticed that the Seattle Times created the graphics, correct? We always create the graphics. Yeah, we a lot of times um, when I'm writing about you know some other survey or research paper, whatever it is, that they'll have graphics in them. But um, we have a, a style and everything, so we, we we will recreate graphics or just do our own you know from scratch. Okay, very cool. I actually. Yeah. I was working with a reporter at Business Insider, and I was asked for the raw data for the first time ever, 
which was interesting. And it was for the intent of creating the graphics and things like that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, you know, entirely depends on, on, on what, you know, I'm being pitched. Is, but yeah. um, I'll tell you what, one thing that happens is, um, not infrequently is that someone will pitch me something that maybe sounds kind of interesting and I'll kind of follow up and say, Hey, can you get like, for ex- you know, can you get me the data um, or something that I can, Right. Send, that I can make a graphic with. I, if I can't, if I don't have some kind of data that will work as a graphic, then I don't really have a column because my, that's just, I just feel that's, you know, a critical part of my column. It makes uh, sense. Think, yeah. I think when people read my column, I, I, I sort of suspect that the first thing they do is look at the graphic and then if they find it interesting, <laughs> they read it. Um, but like the other day, actually, I got a, a, a pitch from a PR person um, about tobacco use, uh, cigarette use and, it was something like there's this inf- like this huge number of places that sell uh, tobacco and cigarette products in the city of Seattle, um, and a lot of them are in South Seattle, which is a, a poor, um, more uh, racially diverse part of the city, and a lot of these places are near schools. Anyway, I, I just I followed up and I said, "Do you have uh, like um, you know a list of all these?" They had said some. It was like 150 retailers, something like that. I said, "Do you have a list of these retailers?" you know, that are geocoded or whatever, so that, you know, if we wanted to create a graphic, we could do that. And uh, they didn't. They just had a, a number. And I was like, oh. that, that had no use for me at all. So that, that was the end of that. But, you know, so that, that would be an example of, you know, me asking for data. And sometimes they're able to, you know, some, you know, a lot of PR people, you know, will try to get me um, some local data, but sometimes they can't. I think I've pitched you before, Gene. There was this thing that I worked on, I can't really name the client, but it was for a company that does Fleetmatic software and Mm -hmm. they have like temperature gauges on, they put temperature gauges on um, certain trucks and we took, yeah, yeah, to to determine like the hottest spots in Seattle and other cities across the U.S. And very cool. Yeah, it was a really cool piece. We did this like interactive landing page to depict the data and, you know, show the hottest spots. And um, so many people who, journalists who covered it, didn't actually use the graphics and didn't show any of the screenshots, but they used, you know, the information to support a story that they were writing or they just, you know, wrote, wrote about it, but they didn't include the graphics. And sometimes I wonder if we spend too much time and money on creating these graphics. Mm. You know, I think it depends on the story at the end of the day. I decided with this one in particular, it was important to invest in producing this, you know, graphic visualization to depict this data. Mm. But for other stories, I've started testing just creating more simple static graphics and charts and it works just fine. So, but for a while I can say a lot of our focus as PR people, especially for Jackie and I, who have a huge background in SEO, was investing so much budget into creating these long infographics at first. That's like early uh, 2010. Um, But, and now I think it's more about like the story and the data that we have, which I find really cool. Would you ever share graphics from, you know, from external sources or, or no? Yeah, I think, I, I think we might, I, but I, I can't actually think of an example where we, <laughs> we have, I think maybe we've done it on the web only, but not, we wouldn't do it in print. For the sake of style, I'm assuming. Yeah. Exactly. Not to get too in depth with this, but I'm curious, has a study that, that someone pitched to you? Have the graphics ever drawn you in to want to cover the story? Thinking about 
what other graphics you can create from it. Like, have you ever been captivated by the visuals that someone has pitched you, even if you can't use them? Nothing's really coming to mind. Um, like you mentioned infographics, those are really, I don't know, maybe less so now, but those were really, really common for a while. And I, I personally, I just, I do not like infographics at all. Same. Yeah. No, it's, it's to me that I, I mean, it could, it could, but I just can't think of an example. You know, I'm usually, first thing I'll see is the headline right on the email. That's, that's typically what, you know, and that's, that's what's going to draw me in or not, whether I'm going to actually bother opening it. Cause I get it. I do get so many. So if it says infographic in the subject line, are you going to actually <laughs> open it? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I think that's a really good segue into the story. Um, Jean, do you mind giving us a, a brief summary of, of what the story was all about? Yeah, sure. Um, so this was based, this, this column was based on a survey by this company, Elucid, which is a New York public opinion, public sentiment polling firm. Um, and they, they did a survey in the city of Seattle um, asking residents, and this was in, back in April after, you know, and it was all about coronavirus, and it was kind of after a couple of months of, of dealing with the virus at that point. And so the questions were a lot along the lines of like how people are kind of coping, how they're holding up, how they're envisioning the future in terms of social distancing and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. The kind of the takeaway, you know, that I, I led with was that people in Seattle kind of felt that... Um, that social distancing and and um, you know not going to events and not going to not, you know not going out much was kind of a long term thing and that they they saw that going on at least a year, um, which of course would have huge implications for you know I mean in a city with people not going out that's really bad. <laughs> so the survey that was referenced, a first and foremost, did Elucid survey other major cities? For this particular one, I am not sure. So. This was the second time that I had worked with this company. The first time was just a few weeks earlier in March. And that's when they initially reached out to me. And they, uh, their, their PR person told me that um, they had done 10 days of a tracking poll in the city of Seattle on perceptions and attitudes about coronavirus and social distancing. That was a, a pitch that really jumped out to me because, you know, getting that kind of, you know, th- this is like the biggest story, you know, ever. And getting local current survey data is not something we often have access to. There, there was a time actually when the when we had more money at the Seattle Times when we would hire like a local polling firm, you know, to for certain things we, they would actually hire them to create surveys and, and conduct them in Seattle. But um, something that we hardly ever do anymore because of budget. Um, here's somebody, you know, offering me a local poll on, you know, this incredibly important subject. So, you know, I was thrilled to get it. And so I worked with them on that earlier story. Um, they typically, you know, are commissioned by, they work with a lot of uh, government agencies and cities, including Seattle. Um, like the, I think they work with Seattle police uh, to do these public sentiment, public opinion surveys. And so um, they typically are commissioned or, and paid to do them. But this was... Um, at the beginning of the coronavirus, they decided to do this on their own initiative. They, they weren't actually paid to do this, although I think the, um, the idea was they were hoping to get it out there and then for city governments to see what they were capable of doing and then actually hiring them to continue to do these uh, daily tracking polls. And so um, they were doing it in a bunch of different cities around the country and some states. And so they just let me know about, um, you know, they let me know that they were doing it in Seattle. And so um, 
of course, I wrote about it and um, interviewed the, you know, the, the CEO of Elucid, and um, it was a, a really good story. And then I, I guess they must have been happy with the coverage because then a, a couple of weeks later, um, their PR person reached out to me again. This time, though, uh, she, and this really hadn't happened before, she, she told me um, that they were interested in surveying again in Seattle um, on coronavirus-related stuff. And would I be interested in actually contributing some thoughts, you know, some ideas? Oh, yeah. Awesome. It was, That's really cool. It was really cool. And I, I have to say, you know, um, that, that almost, that really never happens. And um, I, w- I wasn't sure about the ethics of it. So I had, I actually went to my editor and to the managing editor of the paper and asked if that would be okay. And we decided that it, it was okay as long as I was upfront said that I cannot guarantee that I will write about this, which was kind of a formality because, you know, of yeah. course I wanted to write about this. You know, it's like, it was so, you know, the public is so hungry for information on, on you know, uh, on this topic. And, um, and then they're asking me, you know, to, you know, what, what I thought would be important. And so, but, you know, so I, I told them I can't, I can't guarantee anything, but um, yeah, I would love to, to work with you. And so, so we did. And, you know, what I, you know, you know, what I was really interested in were these questions about, you know, how people are envisioning, you know, are they getting, are they getting worn down by the social distancing and, you know, and, you know, how are they coping and, you know, how do they see the future? Are they optimistic or pessimistic or do they see this as like, you know, just a permanent change in their life? You know, all those kind of questions are what I was interested in. And so, you know, they didn't, you know, do exactly, you know, they kind of uh, adopted some of the questions and, and, you know, put it in, the, in their own words or whatever. But like, um, yeah, that, that's, so that's how that survey came to be. Um, this company, I should just mention um, what's, they're kind of an innovative uh, polling firm. What, what, they, what they're able to do is assemble a, a representative sample really fast and like they can do a poll in it. That's what they do, these daily tracking polls. Like, they can do this in a day, like just assemble four or 500 people that are representative sample of the city or wherever they're, they're polling and, you know, just get a survey done like super fast. Um, oh, that's cool. So, yeah, that's that's um, helpful. Yeah, yeah. It's great. it was it was great. And um, actually, they reached out to me again, and um, I haven't heard back yet. But um, we may be doing another collaboration again. That's awesome. Very cool. They didn't pay you then. Is that how you were able to? Oh, no, no. Write about it? Oh no! Of course they didn't pay me. No, I'm and then nobody's paying them to do this. I I think mm-hmm. I, I mean I didn't really ask, but I, I I'm guessing that they were pleased with the coverage yeah. and felt that it was valuable to them. Um, to, to, to do this. And, uh, and obviously it's very valuable to me and I think to our readers. Right. Well. I mean, you're yeah. here on, in Seattle. So, and they're yeah. in New York. So we are um, in New York. Yeah. Yeah. You're the one that has the pulse on the community. So that's, I think that's really smart of them. Even if you had hadn't covered it, if I were that PR team, I would still be really pleased about having the opportunity to have collaborated in that way. That's really cool. I think so too. I, I, I'm thrilled about it, and I hope I hope this relationship continues. There is a very good local polling firm, but we just we can't really afford to use them anymore. And so to be able to get these this sort of exclusive survey data in Seattle um, is yeah. such a huge benefit to me. When you lo- are looking at surveys that are pitched to you, I just want to talk about the methodology as well. What kind of sample sizes and other qualities are you looking for in terms of making sure that it's valid or sound enough to feature? I mean, I'd like I like to see four or five hundred people surveyed for so let's say like, you know something in Seattle or Seattle area at least. So, so you know when when you're writing about a survey, of course there's the the big picture stuff, but then you also you know in order to get to be able to write a whole column on it, you know, kind of need to see the cross tabs, 
you know, where you're looking at little, you know, smaller demographic groups, you know, a survey has to be big enough that, you know, you can kind of do at least a little bit of that kind of, you know, slicing the data a little bit to look at some of the details, you know, and I, and I am aware of what, you know, you know, a survey may have like their surveys have four or 500 people, I think, um, if I recall correctly. And, um, you know, when you look at the cross tabs, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm aware that the margin of error, of course, grows up because you're looking at a smaller uh, particular demographic within the survey. And so I, I try to write about it a little more generally when I'm looking at, you know, the cross tabs. Whereas I might be very specific with the numbers if I'm looking at the, the bigger picture. You get I, I've gotten pitches for surveys before, you know, where they'll be like, you know, we surveyed nationally and in Washington, you know, 2,500 people or whatever. And then it's like, well, that's actually 50 people a state, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, that's that's probably not really enough to, you know, right. for me to write yeah. 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 Makes sense. Okay. So if you're focused on a city, it sounds like at least – Four to five hundred people would be preferred. Yeah, I mean I, that's not a hard. I don't really have a hard and fast rule, honestly. Um, it mm-hmm. depends a bit, but um, you know, you want it to be a, a you know a really scientifically conducted study. You know, with, you want to be able to see that they want you know you need the margin of error. You want to know if the sample they you know you want to know how the sample is representative. Um, like um, elucid samples are representative by like age, sex race um and area of the city that they live in you know um you, you know you want to know the margin of error you know you know just you just want to know that it's a serious um you know survey <laughs> um aside from the data being representative and adequately sized and aside from it focusing on seattle what are other things that you look for in a survey that seems important to your readership like what are you looking for there just has to be a story there, like that, you know. I, I guess the first thing I think about when I see, a, a, say, a survey type data, is like, where's the headline? Is there something here that I can just pull out that really just work as a headline is going to, you know, make somebody want to click on it, you know, or, or if they see it in the print, they'll at least, you know, actually read it. Um, Sometimes, you know, I've, I've I've had this experience, you know, where I've gotten really, you know, good surveys. Um, and they're interesting, you know, but it's sort of like you just can't pull that nut graph that we call it. And nothing's really jumping from the, you know, and, and, and it's hard to say exactly what that's going to be. It's just, I guess, what I think, you know, it's just my, my yeah. you know, my judgment, I guess, like what I think, what are people in Seattle interested in? What are people here talking about? What, what are, um, you know, what would be, I don't know, just it's, it's hard, really hard to um, articulate that, but. I get what you're saying. It sounds like it's a gut thing. And obviously you're plugged into your community. So you know what's going to be helpful or surprising or interesting, right? I I mean, I hope so. You know, I I think sometimes (laughs) it's it's hit or miss. You know, sometimes I think something's going to be really well read and and it isn't. And other times I think I'm not sure about this one. And then it's just goes really, does really, really well. So it's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm definitely not, you know, perfect, but um, yeah, I think I, I think I have a sense, you know, a sense of- You're not perfect. So why are you even on the show? <laughs> yeah, I, I do have a question on that. So how do you gauge success then? Are you looking at readership numbers? Like, are you trying to get as many people to read your articles or how else would you yeah, measure I mean, that? Kind of that's a good question. You know, I guess, you know, I guess when I say that, I'm really just talking about online and, you know, of course we have- yeah 
you know, a lot of data, um, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the readership and how's it, how, you know, just how well it does, um, how much it's shared and all that kind of stuff. I, that There are other measures of success too, including just whether you think it's actually, even if fewer people read it, if it's a, something that's um, valuable, you know, important and valuable. And, um, and there's no way to gauge um, print readership. Like I get, if I get a lot of emails, I suppose, you know, or phone calls in particular, that's usually the print readers. who are and So I, they have their own ways of uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. being. <laughs> Those numbers online are important. You know, the the, the page views. Yeah. You know, they they are really important. I try not. I mean, I, we try not to make them be the only criteria. We're you know we're, we're judging on whether something's successful or not. You know, um, I of yeah, but um, but they they are important. And and uh, you know, I I mean, I, I I've written things before that I was like. I, I'm like, I don't think this is going to do particularly well, but I still think it's worth writing about. You know, I've definitely made that decision before. Um, but generally, I try to write about things that I think will, you know, generate interest uh, online and that we'll see good numbers for. I mean, I, 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 that's definitely in the forefront of my mind. How do you come up with your story ideas? The easiest way is just when somebody contacts me and says, "Hey, I've got, I've got this great survey, you know." Or, or I've got this, Love hearing that. Yeah, <laughs> that's always nice. Then it's like it's yeah. nothing on my part at all. But um, but that doesn't happen that often, honestly. So um, I do have to kind yeah. of come up with my own stories. It's it's there's, there really is no formula. I I just try to think about things that you know whatever is people are. I think are interested in whatever um, subjects are, are on people's minds here locally or, or nationally, but like especially locally um, and uh, see if I can find some data to, you know, to, to allow me to write about it. You know, I'll, you know, I'll look at other newspapers, national newspapers that, you know, uh, do data analysis. So, you know, I work a lot with demographics, you know, so anything like that, um, I, you know, sometimes I can take a, a national story and localize it. You know, that's one way I get a subject. Cool. Yeah. Like, um, or, uh, or I'll just go fishing, basically. Like, I, I collect spreadsheets. I'll ask, I'll ask, you know, this department of this or department of that, whatever, you know, just like, hey, can you just send me um, your data on whatever? And it's just, and I'll just go looking through it and see if I can find a story in there, you know, and it's, it's really just fishing. Or I'll go through census data and, um, you know, see if there's something interest, interesting that I can find or market research. I have access to um, Scarborough, um, Nielsen Scarborough market research data, Um that's local too. So I, I look at that, uh, you know, I, I, whenever there's a release of data, you know, like the Census Bureau is constantly releasing data and other, other government uh, departments are constantly releasing data. So I'll always look at a new release of data. Just the fact that it's new, you know, makes it newsworthy. For example, like I'll give you an example of like a story that I'm just thinking, I was just actually about to pitch to my editor to see if he thought it was worth writing. But like, so, you know, Donald Trump has tweeted and talked a couple of times now about suburban housewives, right? I don't know, maybe you've seen that, um, which is this kind of like weird, really weird um, <laughs> thing to you know, pull out of the dustbin of history. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, since he brought this up, you know, which conjures images of like, you know, the 1950s and 1960s, right? Um, I was like, how, you know, that that's a demographic uh, question, or, you know, that's a, 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 something I can look at the demographics of, like how many in the Seattle area, like how many women are actually suburban housewives anymore, like meaning women who are married and don't work, you know, not in the labor force, you know. So so it's like, you know, that that's kind of how I, I try to, one way I try to find 
a, a topic, you know, something, if it's topical, if, if a politician say timely brings it up, yeah. like, oh, you know, there, there's a, there's a, some, that's a, actually a, a, a a demographic topic right there that I can write about, you know? Yeah. From national lens to a local one. Yeah. I had a quick question about census data. When that stuff gets released, I know they put out like a press release. Yeah. Does anyone contact you directly or you kind of just subscribe to yeah, that? You subscribe to you... it. Um, they often do um, tutorials or whatever, like, um, you know, web sem- seminars, I guess they call them um, webinars or whatever um, it, about data releases where journalists can ask questions if, you know, so I'll sometimes attend oh, cool. those. Um, uh, but yeah, no, you just have to be on their mailing list, and um, you know, you'll you'll get you'll get constant emails from them. They're constantly releasing stuff. Um, they do, so, you know, there's there's certain releases that are um, the bigger ones that are like, make I say four times a year that are embargoed. You know, you get a, a press uh, access to it like two days ahead of time. I'll always write about those, no matter you know, what, no matter what. The, I'll always find something in those to write about. Cool. That's very cool. This has been so helpful. I'm loving the local angle too. I don't think we've talked to a local reporter yet. So oh, we haven't. You're right. No, right? Yeah. This has been this awesome. This is a monumental episode. <laughs> Let's see. So we talked about how you come up with story ideas and you mentioned that yeah. sometimes they come from pitches. So do you receive a lot of pitches in general? Yeah, I'm so many. Um, you know, they're like not person, mostly not personalized for me. You know, they're just clearly a mass, you know, a mass uh, email. Um, uh, but so many pitches and and um, just you know PR releases or whatever, um, all the time. Yeah, every day scores of them come in. <laughs> do you open every email? No, not every one. How many do you think you open? <laughs> I mean, because there's so many. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say I, I probably open less than half of them. What makes you open them? Is there something about the subject line that catches your eye? Or like what stands out to you when you think about the perfect personalized pitch? You know, if it, if it says Seattle, you know, in the headline, like I know it's going to be local at least. I guess if it, if it just sounds like a, either an intriguing concept or it sounds like the data may actually be decent, I mean, I get a lot of these that's, you know, that are s- sort of personalized, but not, it'll be like Seattle ranks number 28 uh, for something or other. I get these all the time. And it's like, like, I'm going to write a story oh, yeah. about Seattle ranking 28th for something. I mean, I typically don't, <laughs> you know, like, it's not a story. Uh, welcome to the new infographic, honestly. Yeah. That's a tactic that, uh, you know, <laughs> people are definitely using. I mean, generally those ranking things, I get those a lot. Like every every company seems to, at some point, this is at least 10 years now, like these ranking things became really popular. I guess initially they must have done really well. I can't imagine they're, they're so over- done now like i can't even imagine they do that yeah there's like they just take like we took some census data and some yelp data and you know and then we we ranked you know best cities for singles for whatever you know just like this kind of like just garbagey kind of you know studies in quotation marks um i get you get those kind of things a lot and they're just you can sort of see them a mile away i don't i don't typically open those (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, you want to see something where like, okay, this is some, you know, um, original research um, and, uh, you know, maybe a company sharing their own data, it looks like. That can be very interesting when, you know, a 
private company shares its own data. Like I do, I do get a lot of stuff that's not local. It's it'll be national stuff. Um, sometimes it's just interesting to know about, and you know, sometimes that can give me an idea or whatever. So I, I will actually be interested to read it, but I'm not gonna, you know, I have no intention of actually writing about it, which I know is why they sent it to me. It's it's a little overwhelming, honestly. They just they there's just so many, you know. Do you yeah. ever get a PR pitch from somebody claiming to be a reader? No, I mean I get I get story ideas from readers all the time. That's another way I get story ideas. Readers readers write to me okay. and sometimes cool. with the you know maybe it's not even a story idea. Maybe they're just writing to just tell me something. But that that actually be I'm like oh that's actually something I can write about. You know that's I, I can get data and that's Ooh. that's actually one of my favorite ways to get story ideas. And I, and then when if I use that then I'll actually use the email that I got from them you know, in the story to explain that I'm writing this because, you know, a, a reader or more than one reader wrote to me asking about this particular question. I, I always like to do that. I like, it feels like it's kind of like I have this kind of dialogue going with my readers, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Jacqueline and I like to give a shout out to PRs who are doing it right. And yeah, so if you have a shout out for a PR person that you've worked with that you just want to applaud and say they've done a great job, tell us about it. I would be happy to applaud Ginger Lee at Berlin Rosen. But she works with uh, Elucid, and she is just a pleasure to work with. Perfect. Ooh. Love that. This is my favorite <laughs> part about the show. <laughs> Same. Uh, so, yeah, before we end things, Jean, is, I don't want to pass the mic to you for sure and um, see if there's anything other, any other tips, any, you know, feedback that you want to give the PR pros and content creators that are listening. Gosh. Um, well, I mean... I think I kind of, <laughs> my main one, I just, I just said a minute ago, which was like, you know, know, know who you're, you know, know who you're writing to and, and what, what that journalist actually does. That's, that is really the main thing that I can stress. It's like, it makes such a huge difference. That's great. It's really helpful. <laughs> Thank you, Jean. Yeah, good to talk to you. Thank you for listening to another episode of We Earn Media. Real quick, I wanted to give a special shout out to one of our listeners, Leah DeRosa, She left a really sweet review for us on our Apple podcast page, and I thought I'd just read it real quick. Jackie and Britt do a great job of bringing on the right guests to help PR folks learn what writers and the media are looking for. Even if you are a seasoned PR person, there's still tips to be learned here. Highly recommend this podcast. Thank you so much, Leah. It really means a lot. And if you enjoy the show as well, please consider leaving us a review. We're trying to reach new listeners before we wrap up season two, And the more the merrier. Thank you so much.